Hey everyone, this is Jody from the Narrate team. In the final part of Narrate series Merge, Adam asks the question, what's your end game? Adam discusses purpose in the context of willingness and being surrendered. Hey, good morning. If you're a guest with us, we're sure thrilled you're here. My name is Adam and I get to create lots of the conversations around this place. Uh, for those of you who helped host TEDx Helena yesterday, thank you so much for that. That was a lot of fun, and uh, maybe my, one of my favorite stories was one of the guys who helped organize this. We, we put together this kind of consortium of people, many of whom aren't a part of Narrate, to help lead this thing, much like Ales for Trails, and one of the guys who's become a good friend, he came up to me uh, first thing when he got here, and he's like, man, Adam, the, the stage looks great. He's like, you, he was talking about this, you know, he's like, you guys did a great job getting the stage ready for TEDx. I was like, well, let me tell you a little story about how easy our life is here at the Grand Street. We didn't build any of that. We just put a sign on the floor. That's all we had to do. So it was a great reminder of our culture. And, and also, if, if maybe if you're someone that doesn't get our emails or isn't connected to our Facebook page, which we would love for you to do, uh, just because there's lots of communication that happens there, what you may not know if you're not a part of those things, so you don't have to, because then I'll just tell you here. Uh, is you know, we have this fantastic staff, and part of our values is, uh, in particular, to find young leaders and teach them everything we know, knowing that they're going to have babies or get married or get better jobs or go get more school or something like that. And so uh, recently, uh, Sarah Anderson, who's been leading hospitality and scattering, she, she got engaged uh, to a man who fights fires, and so she had the audacity to want to live with her new husband. And so, so she'll be moving with him, uh, which means we had this new opportunity. And so Jody, who you've been seeing up here periodically lately, she's been interning in Narrate Kids. She's moving into that spot. We're very excited to have her and lead with her. Very sad uh, that Sarah's leaving us, and yet think that we kind of did there in that friendship what we kind of anticipated. Let's just find young leaders and teach them everything we know and know that part of being a good organization, if we are one, is we're going to lose great people. And so in the Jody's, the void that she's leaving in their eight kids, and it's a gigantic void, uh, is stepping a guy named Matthew McCarl, who's a high school senior and has been pouring into our middle school students and then working with the kids. And so we're really, really excited to uh, no offense, ladies, but to be adding a man to the Narrate Kids realm, like that, that's exciting. And so he's just Jenny's assistant, not just, but so there's lots of things going on there. We just kind of sent that information out this week. So there you go. Okay, so now we should jump into the message. And I just used three minutes of my 27 on that. So what I want to explore this morning, you guys, is, and we're going to keep it simple because really where I want to go is into a, uh, the time of communion and to really wrap up this conversation that's been a raw one for many of you going all the way back to Christmas Eve. And this morning I want to ask the question, what, what if you knew that somewhere out in front of you what was a moment that would change your life forever? Now, I know that's somewhat cliche, but stick with me. What if you knew that somewhere out in front of you was a moment and that moment was packed with potential, ripe with possibilities. And yet what if, though in hindsight you will see that moment as extraordinarily important to who you are and what you're about, what if at first glance you'll resent it? You'll resist it. You won't like it because it'll be inconvenient. It'll require that you uh, rein in your fear. It'll require that you allow yourself to be interrupted. It'll be scary. What if there's this moment? In fact, what if there's several? And what if we often pass them right by because they're outside of our everyday plans? What if we spend a lot of time resenting these moments that are actually uh, a gift to us 
to help us become and serve the people uh, that we've sought to become and to serve. Now, I think the, the person in the text that may illustrate this better than any is a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab, when we meet her in the text, uh, she's a resident of Jericho, and the only thing we know of Rahab is she's a prostitute. That's the only thing that she's done in her life. And even then, when you say the word life, I, I wonder, would Rahab have even qualified it as a life? Was it really her life? Was it her misery? Was it her nightmare? I mean, we don't know exactly the conditions that caused her to be a prostitute, but I do wonder, I mean, is there, is there any nightmare that she could experience in her sleep that would even touch the nightmare she lived each and every day while she was awake? Again, we, we don't know why she was a prostitute. We know the normal conditions of what would make a woman prosti- a prostitute in these days, and it was almost never their choice. It oftentimes was a result of, of being an unwanted wife. They didn't have the power to divorce, but the men did. And men didn't like to marry women who had been married once before, and so they had to support themselves, which often relegated them to prostitution. We also know that many women in prostitution were widows, and especially if they were widows without any male children, they had to support themselves, and that left them but one option. We know that lots of women in prostitution were sexually abused at some age, and that made them unwanted by the other males. So we don't know why she was a prostitute. We know she was, and we know that because these two men from Israel, two spies who were sent into Jericho, you may have heard about them from these vegetables who talked lots about them, uh, they, went into, they went into Jericho to, to, to spy out the city. It was a, 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 quite a powerful city. And they, they took up residence in this prostitute's house. Now, we don't talk much about that because we don't know why. The text doesn't tell us what's going on there. It could lend itself to scandal. We don't know. But nonetheless, these two spies are staying in this prostitute's house. And this moment happened to her. She didn't see it. And though it sounds silly to us, I would like to suggest it was as inconvenient and scary to her as any of those moments will be in our life. She had this moment. In fact, what the text tells us is, is that Rahab, she had already heard of this God of Israel, this God who, who claimed to be the only true God. In fact, in talking to the spies, she, she said to them, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. There's this, if nothing else, intellectual acknowledgement that this God, your God, word is out. I think he's the real deal. Now, the townspeople found out that she was giving residence to these two spies, and so they put pressure on her to release them to her, to them. Simultaneously, they started begging her, like, don't do that. In fact, turns out your house is built into the city wall, so if you'll just kind of drop a rope out the window, we can escape here, save our lives. And so she, being what I'm sure any woman in her condition who's had to take care of herself for some years, uh, she's crafty. She knows how to take care of herself. Uh, she, none of those kind of girl jokes apply to her. She's tough. She works a deal. And the deal is, tell you what, I'll save your life if you save mine. In fact, she, uh, the, she, she, she makes this deal that when they return, they have to rescue her. And so as they're leaving, they say to her, now the men had said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land, unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. Now that's interesting. Again, we're off the pages of the text, but why in the world was this woman who seemingly would have had such a hard heart, why would she have taken the time to rescue her mother and father? 
her, her brothers and sisters. The text tells us that her family was saved, but it wasn't her family. It wasn't her husband, her kids. Those are relationships she didn't get to experience as a prostitute. And I wonder, what in the world was going on in her that she took the time to rescue her parents, the very ones who, hypothetically at least, didn't come rescue her? And if she was a prostitute because she had to support herself, the very ones who could have supported her but weren't willing to break convention. And what about the brothers? What kind of brother doesn't interrupt this scene and drag her from her life of self-destruction and decadence? She saves them both, all of them. She saves their future. And yet in that moment, we're reminded she wasn't saving a future of her own. She didn't have one. She was a prostitute. There is no future. See, in that moment, what I want to suggest, she, she wasn't saving her future. She was creating one. A whole new future framed around a completely different purpose, a completely different understanding of who she was and why she was on this planet. And create a future for herself, we did. If you follow her story in the text, what you see is that she married a man named Solomon. Solomon he had a son named Boaz. You may have heard of Boaz because his wife was Ruth. Boaz and Ruth had a son whose name was Jesse. Jesse had a son. Notice how we don't even know who the, the, the wives are. Sorry. It speaks to the world in which Rahab lived. Jesse had a son named David. Now, if that's not familiar, maybe this will be King David. King David was Rahab's great-grandson, this prostitute who had nothing, knew nothing, hoped for nothing, who aligned herself with this God of Israel in this catalytic divine moment was the, was the great-grandmother of King David, a man who incidentally has more written of him in the Old Testament than any single individual you find in, in the Jewish Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, what they would call the Tanakh. That King David. So let me ask you, what if you knew that there was in front of you this moment, a moment that you would initially resent, flee from, be afraid of, one that would require you to muster up, to bridle your fears, one that could change your life forever. What if? See, we're, with this morning we're finishing up this conversation that we've been in a while that we've been calling Merge. Uh, I think really the way to summarize it is, is that what we've been talking about is how do we become people who are both surrendered and, and willful? How do we become people who are both of those things? Because I think we live in a culture where we play the personality card and we go like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. And then we go, oh, yeah, but they're just adaptable. They're flexible. They're kind of hippies. And I guess what I'm suggesting is in the text... And I hate to play this card. I don't play it often. I, I don't see that permission, do you? I, Adam, you're just type A. Just go with it. I, she's just flexible. That comes easy. I don't see that. What, what if what the text calls us to is a kind of life where we have contradictory skills, where we can be both willful and surrendered, and the conversation we've been having is, how do we do that? Maybe Mike Tyson uh, says it best, because what he says is, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And that's kind of what we're talking about, is listen, we, we can have plans, business plans, personal plans, we can get married, we can have our retirement staked out, we can have plans, and then it happens. And it's going to happen. We're going to miss flights, we're going to have cars that break down, we're going to have businesses that fail. We're going to have kids that go south for a while, if not permanently. We're, we're, we're going to get a diagnosis. The mortality rate's 100%. Like, 
Like it's going to happen. And I think if we're not careful, this whole conversation, what we've talked about is it, it deals with this sense of like anticipatory dread. Like we're, we're, we're looking ahead going, and, and we're kind of clenched up going, I, I know there's these interruptions. I guess the question that I want to pose this morning is what if, what if we don't have to be afraid, even though there's things to be afraid of, something we're going to explore more next week? Like what, 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 if, what if we can know, like at some point, it's cancerous. At some point, that was a heart attack. At some point, the, the worst scenario happens. At some point, like you're not at the top of your game anymore and you don't lead your field and everyone's not calling you to hear your success story. At some point, whatever, whatever the dread is, at some point it's happening, but what if we don't have to dread it? Like as we explore this idea of, of merging, of being willful and surrendered, I guess I kind of want to move the whole conversation and I think it's been a great one and it's been tremendously helpful to a lot of people, I gather. But as we've talked about, like how do we know we're in a merge point and what do we do in that merge point, all of that, I kind of want to pick the whole conversation up and move it from here to here. A completely different conversation. And I'm indebted uh, for, for all of this because of a conversation I had with a guy named Dick Savage. He, he was a coach of mine that I worked with extensively last year and I started a phone call with him in August. This for me... As I was wrestling with this, like, Lord, how, how do I know? If you were here yesterday at the TED Talks, that's really what Coach Van Dees talked about. Like, how do you know when to be this highly, highly demanding perfectionist and when to be a person of compassion? How, how do we know? And, and as we were working through that, for me, the best moment was when I, asked, when I asked him that question. And he said, Adam, he said, Adam, what's, what's your end game? What's your end game? I said, what do you mean, what's my end game? It sounds like something from some kind of weird Armageddon movie or something. What's my end game? He said, Adam, it seems to me that what you're asking is a question of purpose. See, I was asking him, how do I know when it's my job to change reality and when it's my job to adapt myself to match reality? He said, Adam, I think you're asking a question of purpose. And I said, what do you mean I'm asking a question of purpose? I'm like, I'm, I'm paying you good money. I don't want to talk. I want you to talk. So let me just kind of keep <laughs> deflecting it to you. Keep talking. Keep talking. He said, well, is the point of your life to get your way? Because it seems like what you're asking is, I really need to get my way, but when I can't get my way, what do I do? Is that the point of your life, is getting your way? And I said, oh, no, not, not me. That's never the point of, <laughs> n- never has that once been the point of my life. <clears throat> never mind, I spent a week preparing a sermon for it and a weekend living that, right? I said, no, no, not ne- never, 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 never. He said, okay, so let's just say hypothetically the point of your life isn't getting your way. What, what is the point of your life? And I said, well, keep talking. And he said, Adam, let, let's just suppose, and I, I put his exact quote on this on the mind map, but he said, Adam, let's suppose that before you are at least two paths. One of them is yours and one of them is God's. Now let's suppose that God's is altogether less comfortable. Are you saying that you pick yours just because it's more comfortable than God's? He said, I'm, I'm asking you, what's your end game? And what keeps coming to mind, and this is him speaking, he said, what keeps coming to mind is Paul's words, recorded a couple thousand years ago, that in one sense are ancient and in another sense are entirely modern. Paul, here's how Paul understood himself post his impact on the Damascus Road. He says, here's what keeps coming to mind, Adam. Here's your option. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, Adam, it seems to me that what you're asking in those moments 
is what's your end game? He said, I, you know, let's just talk about marriage, Adam. He said, uh, you say to me, uh, do you love your wife? And he said, of course, I say, well, yes, I love my wife. And he said, well, do you love her enough to die for her? And he says, if, I say, of course, I love her enough to die for her. And he says, do, you, do, you, do I love her enough to let her pick what we watch on TV tonight? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of the tension here, isn't it? I don't have a lot of shots and a lot of illustrations and a lot of verses this morning, you guys, but as we continue and head towards communion and the cross and what it's all about, I guess this morning as we continue in the merge conversation, and listen, I think the brain stuff is important and the understanding stuff and all that is important, but what if periodically you will get a moment, what if out in front of you is this moment that can change your life forever? And what if it's far less about circumstances and far more about a gift that allows you to realign your sense of purpose? What if the merge conversation, and again, I, I'm saying both and, I think this conversation happens on several different planes, but what if, especially for the Christ follower, and I get not all of you are, and we respect that, but what if for the Christ follower, as much as everything we've talked about, the merge conversation is an opportunity to reinvest in your sense of purpose. What's your end game? You know what hedonism is? Go ahead, next slide. Hedonism is the ethical theory that pleasure is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Hedonism says your primary purpose is your pleasure. And I think as 21st century Americans living in the most affluent culture the world has ever known, we go, what's wrong with that? You know what Christian hedonism is? It's taking the gospel of Jesus and saying God's primary purpose in his life is to make your life easy. It's flipping the script and saying his life is about you rather than your life is about him. Now listen, I, I like many of you, I think Christ is tremendously helpful in, in every aspect. I, I sat here yesterday at TEDx, thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it and found myself often wondering, do you know the opportunity that Jesus brings to the table? That, that there's an entire solution that's supported by science, that's as intellectual as anything else, and it's relevant. I'm not saying that we flip the script and we become these robotic people, but are, have we flipped the script? Do we still believe that we find our lives when we lose it? You know, my own struggles with anxiety are well documented. Um, I'm excited to finally kick out a series here. I think this summer I'll be ready for it to talk about this whole thing. The single most helpful thing for me, I'm, I'm about ready to stop calling myself someone who has anxiety. The single most helpful thing has been this question. What's your end game? Like, what's the end game? Because if the end game is be safe, then things are scary. But if the end game is, jeez, following God, serving people, kind of changes the conversation, doesn't it? Just got to go to Ecuador a couple weeks ago, and I, and I know you won't believe me, but, and nor was I drugged. I enjoyed 99% of it. And there were several scripts going on in my head. It's, it's part of what I'm looking forward to talking about. None more prominent than, Adam, what's your end game? Because 
Because when, when, when your steps are determined by this, like, oh yeah, my end game is to follow him, then su- suddenly. So, so here's my question. What if, what if those Rahab moments, because it seems to me that part of what she did is went, I'm going to take a hard right here, and that right is, is towards the God of Israel. What if those emerge points are these opportunities to go, wait, 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 wait a minute, what, what's, what's my end game? In fact, here's, here's my challenge to you. I haven't done this in a while. My challenge to you is, is to memorize Galatians 2.20 if you haven't already. To, to embed that into your guts. And then I'm going to up it even a little bit more. My, my challenge to you is, is to start your day tomorrow. Uh, to challenge yourself tomorrow. Uh, to find five merge points. Five of the 5,000. Let's just go for whatever percent that is. That your prayer, that your desire is to hit a point of merging, a point where you're not watching your show, a point where the light turned red, a point where you missed the flight, a point where the cancer diagnosis was positive, to hit the merge points and to apply the Galatians 2.20. And then the third step in my challenge is that the next morning, you just take inventory. Take you 10 minutes. Start the day and go, okay, Lord, uh, what opportunities did I have to merge yesterday? And what was my batting average? I might not get you in the bigs. Celebrate the times where you did it. Muster up and get motivated uh, to catch more of them the next day. What, what happens? What, what happens if suddenly your end game is completely redefined? What, what happens if you could live in this like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What Paul's saying there is I took the red rope. Like it was let down through the window. I took it, and this isn't mine anymore. This is his. See, it seems to me that, that we live in dread of these merge points. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if, if God is who he says he is, then, then, then we can have faith and hope. Faith, N.T. Wright says, is the ability to fully believe that God is good despite what we see. Hope is the ability to believe that that God shows up in any future you might face. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So yeah, we, we, can, we can clench up. I was talking to a guy yesterday and cancer is a part of his life. And I was like, how's that going? And he said, you know, Adam, dying's not such a bad thing. What is that? It's faith and hope. It's there's a red rope that's been let down through the window. And as a Christ follower, my existence is trying to channel my purpose to the end of that rope. So as we finish up this conversation of merge, what's your end game? What is it? And what if those moments that are interruptions and inconveniences and undesirable in every possible instance And that's always true unless Jesus is who he says he is. And then the purpose of your life is who you become. And then your gift to God is who, through his grace, you become. And then death never has the last word. And then 
the jolt, it doesn't win. Listen, I understand some of you aren't Christ followers, and believe me, I know we just went much deeper into this whole presumption of following Jesus than we often do. And if we can help you with that, we would love to. The staff, many of us will be up here afterwards. We'd love to set up a meeting, pray with you, however we can serve you. And for those of you that do follow Jesus, uh, in our minds this morning is, is about completing a conversation that is, has been pointed on several different levels, that is challenging in a whole bunch of ways, and this morning is so easy to talk about and so hard to do. But we want to end this series by just focusing on the cross and Christ and the invitation that, that really is the historic Jesus and who we can be in him.